Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life talent initiatives. This podcast is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I dig into successes, challenges, and lessons learned from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Ten years ago, we weren't talking much about vulnerability and compassion at work. Today, it's part and parcel especially when organizations and the people that make them work are all navigating huge waves of ongoing change, such as mergers and acquisitions, technological transformations, and then anxiety-provoking world events such as the COVID pandemic, the war in Russia, and runaway inflation. In today's episode, my guest and I get grounded around what really matters. My guest is Georgina Bulino. Georgina is Vice President of People and Culture at YIT, a leading provider of materials handling and warehousing. Originally from Paris, France, Georgina is now located in Ontario, Canada, and leads a team of HR and talent professionals. She started her career in human resources as an HR coordinator, and from there built a career in people and culture. She's a passionate leader with a truly optimistic outlook, and this was a most inspiring conversation. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today I'm joined by the Vice President of People and Culture at Yale Industrial Trucks, Georgina Bulino. Georgina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's kick it off by sharing a little bit with the audience around you know, who you are and your career journey to date. Yeah, no problem. I like to tell the story because believe it or not, I did not plan to get into human resources until I would say my late 20s. My background was in operations and communication. And eventually I realized that I really enjoyed connecting with people. What are their stories? How did they end up where they are today? And my mother at the time had made a comment to me that I would be great in human resources. So Mm -hmm. I did a complete shift. I had to reinvent myself, so to speak, went back to school and got my first gig in HR working for Kraft Soons. And then from there, just the career progression led me to where I am today. And on a more personal side of things, I was born and raised in France, Paris, came to Canada as a teenager, and I am now a wife and mother to three amazing kids. Beautiful. Okay. So from Paris, France, so you've got, you've got the, the two languages, which is awesome. I'm very passionate about that, having studied French myself and lived in France briefly for a year. So this reinvention of self and going back to school, just want to acknowledge that takes, that takes a lot, right? To pause, put the brakes mm-hmm. on when you're already working. And by the way, when, when you say you worked at Kraft, were you at the Mississauga plant? No, I was at the Don Mills location. Oh, okay. Because yeah. we there's a mill around the corner here in Mississauga mm-hmm. that was previously Kraft and now is Mondelez or Mondelez. something like that. Mondelez. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. ended up working there as well. when So there was an integration and they ended up doing a split between groceries and snacks. 
Oh, so I, see. I ended up going from their head office over to the Snacks Division, which is now known as Mongolese. Okay. So for listeners, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there. So there was a, you know, two companies coming together, a bit of a split going on. Yep. And that kind of will will come up a little bit later in our conversation about this whole idea of merger and acquisition and what happens when mm-hmm. you're an HR professional. So one of the things that you mentioned to me earlier when we were chatting and preparing for this episode is that, you know, you bring this real passion for diversity, equity, inclusion, and this is going to be a core focus for you this year. Could you tell us a bit more about what that's going to look like? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, we've recently gone through an acquisition. Right now we're aligning our DNI strategies. So the biggest project for 2023 is going to be to incorporate inclusion and diversity into our business strategy and framework. So we all know that DNI are core values. It's important to any organization. But when you think about it, it's really embedded in leadership development and talent acquisition, management strategies. So right now, we're working on our self-identification survey that we're going to be sending out every year. And what we want to do here is we want to understand the representation of our workforce. And then we want to leverage the data from the survey to measure the impact of DNI strategies. So I think I think it's important to take an honest, fact-based approach to understand where we're falling short. And for those who perhaps question DNI initiatives, it can happen. Our goal is to find ways to get their buy-in and really reminding them that a diverse mix of voices at the end of the day leads to better discussions, decisions, and outcomes for really everybody that's involved. And then in today's world, DNI not only is it the right thing to do, but it also improves customer willingness to want to do business with you in the first place. So very, very important. Yeah, I I think that's really well put. Not just the right thing to do, but it it actually mm-hmm. there's a, a you know it's part of the customer value proposition, right? It's it's yeah. as you say, it's foundational, it's core. Now your your company was recently acquired back in the fall by a U.S. parent. And so when you say that you're you're going to be focused this year on aligning strategies into your business framework, what does it look like as far as the Canadian DEI strategy and the U.S. one? Well, I think there are a lot of similarities, which is really good. So now it's just about one of our guiding principles is one team. So we really want to take what they've been doing in the U.S. and here in Canada, merging the two and really trying to implement something that would make sense for both. I mean, when you think of DEI, it doesn't really matter where you are when you're implementing pillars and a strategy around that. It should be somewhat the same. So whatever they've been doing in the U.S. and in Canada, when we started comparing notes, we were like, wow. But, you know, we've been doing a lot of similarities, you know, which is great. So now it's trying to find something that makes sense for both, where we can just implement it for the entire company. Okay. So it's kind of looking for synergy almost right now, right? You know, prioritization a little bit. So when you say pillars, you know, maybe you could expand on on what you mean by that for the audience. For sure. So we do have a policy in place, which is great. We're not looking to, you know, reinvent the wheel here. But when I say pillars, I'm talking about 
can we maybe focus on certain groups? A lot of companies out there are doing well, women in leadership roles. They're talking about Black experiences, people with disabilities. If you're part of a minority group, Indigenous, veterans. So right now, the goal is going to be around implementing certain pillars into the workplace and finding some ways on how to implement those into the workplace. Okay. So when you think about, I think you said you're going to be chairing the committee or leading it mm-hmm. overall, yes. which is just, yes. I'm so excited for you, honestly, for, you know, what what a great, not just project, but initiative to be able to sink Absolutely. your teeth into this year. So where do you even start on that prioritization task? Well, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's just so much that can fall yes, under all DNI worthy. initiatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All worthy exactly. stuff. So I think, you know, we're not going to, it's important to take our time with it. We don't want to rush through anything. So right now let's build those pillars, the framework, and then have a discussion with the committee around, well, when we talk about will, women in leadership roles, what does that entail? When we talk about Black experiences, people with disabilities, what are we looking to do here? So some can say that they're pillars, others will say they're objectives, and that's exactly what it is. So really trying to find a way to show our employees that we are behind DNI strategies, that we believe in it, and here are the action items. Because action okay. speaks louder than words, too. Right? Yes. So, so yeah. it sounds like getting really, really clear on on the desired outcomes, like what, you know, in terms of exactly. where to start. Like, what is it, what does progress look like this year for, for each of these different groups or for the the core three to start with? Because, again, you can't boil the ocean. <laughs> that's the tricky thing. You want to be able to <laughs> that's do right. it all. Yeah, it's tough. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for for giving that insight because I think it's it's such an Im- important topic that that every professional is grappling with, whether they have a really well-established DEIB strategy and programming that's truly embedded and threaded, or they're just getting started. So it's always helpful to have a peek behind the curtains. So the other piece that I would love to get your insights on is, is around this idea of being acquired by a U.S. parent. And part of the reason I'm, I'm like, well, why am I so curious about that? Well, first off, in you know a lot of the clients I work with, I think I'd mentioned this to you earlier. They they are currently dealing with an acquisition, whether they're the acquirers or companies the acquirer or they're being acquired, or they have been in the last few years, or it it looks like it's it's coming up. It just it seems to be in the water. There's quite a bit of activity happening just amongst the people that I know. And acquisitions done poorly leads to a lot of hangovers in terms of organizational culture. And I've lived that. I've seen that. In in my last company, they had acquired, it was retirement mm-hmm. living. So they'd acquired 40 homes all at once from, you know, they bought one company out of Quebec. And when I came two years later, it, you know, there was still a lot of them, us stuff. And it's still, I don't think they've still been able to merge all the payrolls and the collective bargaining units and stuff. Like it was, you know, it was Takes just a while. Really, mm-hmm. really complex with something of that scale. And plus they kept acquiring. And then I'm also thinking about a company where I spent 10 years, Franklin Templeton, and they're owned by an American parent. And yet when I was there, the Canadian unit was very much self-contained, had its own president and senior leadership team. And, you know, that started to shift near the end of the 10 years until now it's like most of the senior folks in Canada report into people in the States or globally. 
Mm-hmm. So it really, really changed. So there's so many different w- ways that companies end up structuring after an, a merger acquisition or, you know, where there's this parent company and subsidiary. What does it look like? What is it starting to look like since it's still pretty new for you? Well, I think that I'm going to speak for myself and then I'm going to speak for my team but so far, so good. Yes, it can be scary, right? I mean, I've been part yeah. of an M&As before where it can go either way. But I think in this particular instance, their guiding principles and their vision just really resonated with the Canadian group here. And so it's, it's a good story to tell. Right now, we've been focusing on the vision. It's important to be able to share the vision and not just now the vision in Canada, but the one in the U.S. as well. So what we've been doing here internally, we broke it down into different steps. So step one would be to share that vision. Share it because that people are going to want to know what it is. And it's important to make it clear and vivid so everybody sees something for themselves in that future. And then step two, allow your team to engage with that planner, with that vision. So I know that for myself, I've been getting, I've been doing some roundtable discussions with our employees here in Canada, and we've been talking about the vision and the plan, right? I mean, what we always say is don't push the plan on people, but pull them mm-hmm. into it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been asking them questions like, well, how do you, where do you think you can contribute? How do you want to move forward? What can you do to help us accomplish our goals? And then that leads into step three. So step three, we get feedback from the team. Asking for feedback after the fact will help your team really buy in. Do you have any questions or concerns? Are there any gaps? So really, we want to make sure to communicate and explain to people what it means for them and what the impact is going to be. So very, very important to communicate. And then step four, you want to cascade the plan. You want to roll it out from the highest levels of the organization because it's very important to for people to, to see what the vision is to understand it. Like we say with sports, whether you're playing offense or defense, everybody plays an important role here with one common vision as the goal. So now, yes, we were acquired by a U.S. company, but we all have a common vision as the goal. So really cascading the plan to the rest of the team and allowing them to contribute in whatever way would make the most sense has been extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. You know? with now the two companies coming together. Wonderful. So with the, the you know, allowing the team to engage and really involving them, that's so critical to any change. That's something I'm always going on about. Involve people, even if a decision is already taken, how can you involve them in how it gets rolled out or implemented, you know, live? So mm-hmm. this idea of the round tables and, and trying to pull people into it, I I really appreciate that that approach. I think that's so, so valuable. What are you finding? Like, is this vision, maybe I need to get a little clearer on it. So is this company vision really based on core objectives, like the big, hairy, audacious goals, or is it more mission statement based? Or, you know, like how how easy is it for people to put their arms around it? I think, well, they've come up with guiding principles that resonate with really anyone and everyone. I mean, they're talking about mutual respect, one team, customer first. I mean, all of these things are so important to any organization. It doesn't matter the industry that you're in. So these core values or principles are things that, you know, it resonated with me. It resonates with our team 
here in Canada. So when they started seeing and learning about those principles, a lot of our employees here were like, wow, this is actually something that we've been doing, but now there's structure to it. Yes. Okay. So that's why I, I, I really have, I have a lot of faith and, and, and hope of what's to come. I'm excited. And I know that the team in Canada is excited too, because it means, it means growth, right? It might get uncomfortable, but you know, uncomfortable means growth. So you have to, to find a way to embrace it really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So it just sounds like, you know, in this particular case, this is a really good news story, right? To have the additional Mm -hmm. structure and shared vision with this parent company. It's more like a partnership versus, versus a takeover, which is how Mm -hmm. sometimes it ends up feeling or being. Now you also told me when we were off screen, you know, that, that you've been lucky enough that you report to somebody you really respect and who is a mentor. He's somebody you'd ask to be your mentor. What, mm-hmm. so what led up to that moment? How did you know that he was the right person? Well, our personalities are very similar and the way that we look at HR. So when we started talking, he had even made a comment to me where he was like, wow, like, you know, there are a lot of similarities. That's kind of cool. So for me, I, I, I don't think I would be where I am today in my career if it weren't for the many mentors that I've had over the years. But most recently, and this is what I was telling you earlier, I've connected with two individuals where I currently work. And I'm so grateful for them because they help me look at things differently. They're always willing to share their own experiences with me. And without even noticing it, you realize that those conversations are helping you navigate through different challenges. So having those two mentors really got me to start thinking about mentorship and the importance of it. So when you think about it, a mentor inspires you, stretches you, connects you. And then of course it has the power to push your career to new heights as well. So through mentorship, I've learned so much. I will continue to learn from my mentors as much as I can. And I believe that the greatest growth comes from facing your greatest fears. So, and the really good stuff starts to happen once you step outside of that comfort zone and you leap into the unknown. I know it sounds a little scary. I'm talking about leaping into the unknown, (laughs) but at the end of the day, I think that if you do that, it will really help you become a leader for not only your organization, but for your peers as well. And I, I never want to take that for granted. Yeah, well, it's so true. Growth happens outside the comfort zone. So when you say that, you know, having these two mentors and how valuable those relationships have been for you thus far, and it's got you thinking about mentorship, are you looking at, you know, whether it's this year or not, it sounds like you've got your hands full, but down (laughs) the road, looking into implementing any formal mentorship programming? Absolutely. I think, I think it's a great way to show employees that you're, you're investing in them. And if you do that, they're less likely to jump ship too, because now you're, you're taking the time to connect with them and to teach them, coach them. And it really doesn't matter what level you're at. People appreciate that because they see you're taking an interest in them. And, you know, it's a genuine and sincere approach on, hey, here are my experiences. Here's what I've dealt with. Here's what I see for you. What do you think? Really getting their input on what they want to do. What are your aspirations? Where do you want to be in two, three, four years? And when you think about it, that ties into succession planning. So it's great for the organization. It's great for 
you know, trying to retain talent, which now is very, very hard to do. Yes. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think it is something that can help with retention when it's done well. And, you know, for listeners, I don't know if I've ever talked about the fact that, that, you know, in my last organization, before I went out and started Green Apple, I had run a very large formal mentorship program. And it was a year long program. And there was a really quite a a formal selection process and there were interviews and everything to get people matched up with senior leaders and with both people in the field and people at, at the home office and so on. So I had an opportunity to mentor several incredible leaders. And I would say my experience as a mentor was, well, beautiful, really, because it was such a learning experience for me, because this is really around, you know, sharing knowledge and and it's not just, you know, giving guidance or advice to somebody more junior than you. I think it's all about both both parties really coming with curiosity and and generosity. So I think that can help. Now, formal programs, I would say my experience as a mentee was was, was frankly terrible. It was it was awful. <laughs> and and we did significant training with mentors mm-hmm. and mentees and had a lot of structured questions and conversation guides and tips and tricks. So so there so you know it's for a whole other reason that, that that didn't go quite the way it could have. That said, I think, you know, overall the 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 feedback was was strong on the program. But I think that there's something to be said about informal mentorship relationships. And this is why I just wanted to share with with listeners too. I think mm-hmm. if you're not if you're not already doing something around mentorship, you know, you could be encouraging, especially with your high potential folks, you know, related to succession planning, really mm-hmm. saying you need to get a mentor, but maybe leave it up to them who they choose and then give them some tools Absolutely. and so on. This mm-hmm. this idea of formal matching, I don't I think sometimes it falls on its on its face. It's well intentioned. Anyways, what do you think? Get off my Yeah, no. Yeah, no, makes sense, right? I'm probably going to be reaching out to you when when we start implementing mentorship programs Absolutely. and whatnot. But I think I think the biggest opportunity that I see in organizations out there, we need to do everything in our power to build a psychological safety and embed it into the culture. Because in psychologically safe teams, team members feel accepted and respected, and they can be themselves without having this fear of negative consequences for your career, self-image, or even status. So... I think one thing that is so clear to anyone in leadership is that one of the most important elements of high-performing teams is the relationships between the people in them, whether it's the relationships between colleagues or employees and their leaders, but there's no team without trust, right? And then that trust is really built on a culture of psychological safety where people feel like they can speak up. And then the questions to ask yourself is, well, is there a tolerance for mistakes? Yes. Right? Is risk-taking encouraged? Are everyone's opinions equal? So I think it's important to ask, you know, those types of questions to really be able to engage, share with your workforce. Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciate that you just, you know, put that question out there as as one gauge of of if psychological safety is present. You know, this was the the topic we're, we're recording this at the beginning of February in 2023 mm-hmm. and the last talent talk topic in January. So I hold these monthly talent talks and it was, it was about cultivating psychological safety. And this was something that mm-hmm. the group was unanimous around was, you know, is there a tolerance for making mistakes? How do we, you know, do we actually say we want innovation and then, 
you know, people don't feel safe to, to take, you know, calculated risks and to make those mistakes and to learn from them. You know, it, it is their lip service, basically, are people walking the talk? So I, I, I think exactly. that's such, a, such an important question to ask. Thank mm. you. So, so let's kind of wind a little further along here, because another thing that I, I know you're really passionate about is, you know, how as a leader, you can inspire your employees. So certainly by encouraging mentorship and, and, and it sounds like a real growth mindset in your world. How, how else do you, do you come at that desire to, to inspire? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. Well, I believe that inspiration comes from three places, the clarity of one's vision, the courage of one's conviction, mm. and the ability to effectively communicate both of those things. So for me, I think people get inspired when they see their leaders practice compassion, courage, and who exercise vulnerability because it encourages them to do the same. And it's interesting because now we talk about vulnerability and compassion, but 10 years ago, we wouldn't be talking about this in the workplace. It just goes to show how the world has evolved and we as human beings need to adapt and being vulnerable is not an easy thing. It takes a lot of practice, especially if it doesn't come naturally. Right. And the questions to ask yourself is, well, do I regularly communicate with my staff? Do I promote and encourage teamwork? I read this quote a while ago and it stayed with me. It said that leaders who don't listen to others will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen that one too or something yeah. like it. It's so true. It's so true, right? So it's important to connect with your teams regularly and remember that it's easy to manage compassionately when you like the people that you're working with. But what do you do when you don't like the individual? It can happen. You're not going to be able Absolutely. to be a cup of we, tea. We right? don't all gel. Yes. Exactly. So for me, compassion is not conditional. It matters the most when you don't have that natural connection with somebody. So speak with kindness, apologize when you've made a mistake, be happy for someone else's success and show respect. And, and if you do all these things, not only will you improve the culture, but people aren't going to want to go anywhere because they, they're going to have that sense of belonging. I can speak up without you know, any negative impact. And, and really, that's what you're trying to do at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, you speak so eloquently. Your passion really is inspiring. It really, really oozes from your pores, I would say, Georgina. So, <laughs> so how, how, you know, so what, it, what would it look like if I peered through the window at you with, with your team, and maybe it's with the organization at large too, like, how are you sharing this vision that you have? Like, we, well, it, you know, how are you getting it in front of people? Well, I think that, you know, when you think about, and, and people ask me that sometimes, right, where they, they say, well, what, how do you have this confidence? <laughs> like, how do you <laughs> communicate this to other people? And I have to say, listen, we all have our bad days, but for me, definitely helping others be more successful is, it's just been so rewarding. Leadership confidence isn't just about building your own track record of wins. The essence of leadership is helping others around you become more successful. If you're the smartest person in the room all the time, 
then you're in the wrong room, right? So when you're a leader, in my humble opinion, you have to help others gain that self-awareness. You want to coach them through it and help them position themselves to be on the right paths. So for me, the best comments that I've gotten from past and current employees is always around that coaching aspect Mm -hmm. and how much I've helped them. So getting compliments like that, Lisa, never gets old. And it just gives you such a sense of fulfillment and, and accomplishment. And then I think it's also important to surround yourself with people who believe in you. Nothing is as powerful as the people who think you're great, who believe you can do the impossible, and who have all the confidence in the world in you. So surround yourself with people, with those types of people and be intentional about maintaining those connections as well, because it's so easy nowadays to just send a text as opposed to picking up the phone or having that face-to-face meeting, right? So very, very important to keep those connections because really it will help you in boosting that confidence in yourself. So stick with those people who can lift your perspective and avoid or at least tune out those who make you feel bad about yourself because unfortunately it can happen to you. Right. And, you know, for, for people listening, I mean, not everybody has the, the luxury of, of right away surrounding themselves with only people that believe in them, believe in the vision. Because in some cases, you know, leaders are coming in and inheriting teams in a new organization mm-hmm. or different div- division. And, you know, not everybody's happy and it's not everybody you would have picked. And, you know, so it's, it's, you know, how do we, how do we make the best of this and bring out the best in people? And it, and it's tricky and it can take some time. But I think, you know, your point that really struck me there was, you know, be intentional about the connections and about maintaining, nurturing those connections over time. That mm-hmm. I think is a bit of a lost art in some cases. You know, my dad lived with us for, for oh, 13 years and he's, he, he's passed away, but he used to always say to me that I was so much like his mom and she died when I was very young, but my grandma Grace was somebody who really worked at her friendships, you know, really tried to stay in touch, even when, you know, she had the new, the new job or the new boyfriend or whatever, you know, and, and, and I think when it come, came to her work life as well, there were so many people, my, my dad said, after she passed, he, he, it was a full-time job for a couple of months just to go and deliver. She had those Royal Dalton statuettes and he had to go deliver them to such a wide variety of people, male and female from her entire life, you know, personal work that she felt, you know, were important and that she had tried to stay in touch with over the years. And I love that. I think, I, I think, you know, that's a real art. And I think if we saw more of that in organizations, not just in personal lives, like how do we, how do we, you know, be very intentional about remembering to check in with people and remembering that somebody had been feeling off or that their mom was had a surgery coming up. It doesn't have to be like, you know, everybody's full story, but little details like that, things that are particularly important. It matters to, to remember, write it down in your, you know, put a note in your phone, something like that. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. it goes back to employees feeling like, you're, wow, like, you know, I really do feel like so-and-so cares about me. And and I think that's where one-on-ones come into play. I mean, I know that for me personally, I have a lot of one-on-ones because they go such a long way. You're really, you're nurturing employees during those one-on-ones on how to have a growth mindset. You're also building trust with them during those one-on-ones. And once that trust is at the core 
of that relationship, the employee develops a true sense of belonging. And I know I keep talking about that, but it's so, so crucial. And when you connect with management and leadership, you're in the best position to speak and reflect on the talent that you do have. So it's very, very important to have those one-on-ones in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, you really know them because, you know, I, I, I remember running succession planning annual sort of interviews with, with C-suite people and, you know, and, and trying to get them to identify, for instance, ready successors. And in some cases, they were identifying people they didn't even know if the person wanted it or had any desire to move into their role. Because so I would say, okay, so what, what do you know about their aspirations? Well, mm, well, I don't, but I think they'd be the next me. They'd be That's great right. at it. Okay. That's right. And and do you believe that they're, you know, this is something that they really want, this kind of thing? No. Okay. Well, let's start by asking. And I'll tell you that in at least half of the cases, the people they had pegged as being their successor had no interest. Mm-hmm. So so it does come back to, you know, it's it's bigger than just the the individual relationship. It's about understanding, to your point, talent and knowing from an organizational perspective what do what do people want? Because because you know, fitting people with the right opportunity at the right time is absolutely critical to retention in an organization's overall success. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't yeah. agree more. All right. Well, let's let's come to our, our last question, really. And time is flowing. <laughs> when you think you've had a really wonderful career, you know, at least 15 years, I think, in HR, and that was after mm-hmm. you did the reinvention, right? So longer in the workforce. What would you say has been your biggest lesson learned that's that's helping you now in, you know, in the challenges that you face? I'm really glad you asked that question. I think the one thing that I've learned early on in my career and that helps me today still is to stay true to who you are. The world can just sometimes sway you in a direction that just isn't you. And I've learned early on in my career the importance of just being you. Being authentic is something that I preach every day. And when you think about it, it is so crucial because it contributes to your well-being and your happiness and fulfillment, and it helps build high self-esteem. So when your actions align with your true nature, you're more likely to pursue your passions, believe in yourself, and then feel confident in your opinions and your viewpoints as well. So it's something that I do share with my team when they asked me the question and I thought I would share it on on today's call. Yeah, thank you for that. Beautifully put. This idea of authenticity, I think it, it you know, the word gets used a lot. And so, you know, I, I like how you, you broke it down into what it actually means. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, once again, I so appreciate your taking the time to come on the show and and chat and share your insights. It's been really valuable. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so glad we connected. Me too. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.